0: There are lots of lousy businesses and there's lots of wonderful businesses
1: it's the art and science of money my job has been to try and figure out which is which it's hi-fi radio from the global news radio studios in toronto with hi-fi portfolio managers here's wolfgang klein and jack hartel
2: welcome back saturday morning hi-fi radio show about money high finance and uh well We're going to have some fun with the show today. Uh, It's been a tough week in the market, so we have to bring back our strategist, Tony Dwyer. Should I stay or should I go is what we're going to ask him. We're going to talk about oil with Simon Ackett, one of our institutional oil uh, salespeople at Canaccord Genuity. And we're going to end it with Rick Davis, uh, one of the smartest Uh, analysts out there. If you want to know anything about software, Rick is the man uh, from Microsoft to Autodesk to Adobe. He's got them covered, uh, including some of the smaller names as well uh, that have been giving back some money of late. But without further ado, Tony Dwyer, uh, Chief Strategist with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, A pleasure to have you on HiFi Radio yet again, Tony.
3: Great to be here, Wolfie. and, And Jack, thanks for having me.
2: So it's it, it, it's it's getting ugly out there, Tony. Uh, you know, to, Toronto is now down six percent year to date. Uh, the S and P five hundred has been flirting with negative territory. Uh, the Nasdaq, which was leading, has basically giving it all back. Uh, yeah, we saw pressure from Facebook, pressure on Amazon, uh, software stocks uh, giving back. Uh, is this the great rotation? Uh, is it time to get uh, you know super defensive in here? Buy utilities, buy high yielding stocks, and no, run no, from tax.
3: No, that was that was in, in mid-January. It was the time to be a little more defensive when you were up seven and a half percent in the S and P going into the third week only of the year. I know. No. Like that, this is, you know the, those things that typically happen around the bottom are kind of happening. You're you're shooting the leaders. You, the the Facebook, the Amazon, the Google. Those stocks are getting hit. The the Teslas. Those stocks are getting hit the most because they're very well owned. And when people get scared, they they sell what they uh, they sell everything they can, and that's kind of what's been happening. So we think we're closer to an intermediate term lower of already made it, rather than having uh, the time to get defensive right now.
2: I, I call those names Tony the generals, uh, and and you know if you use war analogy, I guess the generals fall last. Um, so is, is that sort of what you believe is occurring? Because you saw a lot of the small mid cap names give back, and and yet the Fang stocks continue to hold in well. So you, you saw less and less names pushing the be higher in January, uh, so is that sort of the logic Well,
3: you know think about using your analogy of war when do you get scared you don 't scared get scared when a couple of guys in the front get shot. You get scared when they 're about to take over the generals, and that you know that 's what 's happening you 're getting whether it 's from president trump 's tweet or whether it 's from a poor Zuckerberg response, whatever it is. they find an excuse when fear picks up, they find an excuse to sell what they don't want to sell. And that's the case, I think, with FANG. And again, Wolfie, as you know, our our key indicators are telling us that we're still a long way away from a recession, which means there's still significant upside. So historically, you don't want to buy periods of weakness. Again, you're down 10% in the S&P 500 from peak. That's not a time to sell in a fundamentally driven market. It's a time to add to positions.
4: So so Tony, these generals that we're talking about, do you expect them to regain their leadership once uh, the market comes back out of this correction?
3: Well, I'll leave the specific tech stocks up to Rich, who's coming on later with, uh, with his software picks. But, you know, from an information technology, a sector point of view, certainly. We, uh, we are overweight financials, which means the banks, infotech, which means all of them and industrials, because those are the three sectors that do well when the yield curve is flattening and when at this point in the economic cycle.
2: Uh, Tony, again, I want to try to get granular with you for a second. Please uh, answer what you wish and and defer to Rick, uh, that which you don't want to share with the the market. But, you know, being that you are in Wall Street... uh, the, the Trump effect, uh, Trump taking a shot at Amazon, saying that the two dominant, plus Jack mentioned to me they own the Washington Post, and he's not big fans of the, the fake the news. The fake news coming <laughs> out of there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the Washington Post. Um, the, the data breach from, from uh, Facebook, uh, that really has all of tech land in a tizzy in terms of what they can do with the data on a go-forward basis. Uh, Factor or fish, fiction, MythBuster or, or something that we have to be very, very conscious of? I think MythBuster.
3: Well uh, I can I, again, I have no opinion on those specific names. Our analyst uh, um, Mike Graham does though he thought that he did not change his target or his assumptions for Facebook, so clearly he does not think that um, that there 's a ton of financial risk and equity market risk relative to facebook, and actually, if you look back over recent years you 've had a double digit decline in all of those in, in Facebook for most years, so it 's not really. Unique to have these kind of pullbacks in the space. It's just right now making a ton of news.
2: Okay, so uh, let's do something else here, Tony. Asset mix. We have three choices where we can put our money. We can leave it under the mattress and make nothing. We can buy some bonds, which don't pay us a whole lot. Or we can buy stocks, which are sort of on sale. But when you look at valuations, I think you're actually probably going to have a bit of a grin on your face. Valuations have improved. So can you share with us uh, in terms of if you were to place a bet in terms of an asset category, which one? I know, I think I know your answer, but share with the audience.
3: There's an interesting study that my friend Jason gofford at Sentiment Trader, our partner and friend at Sentiment Trader put out, and it was on the LQD, which is the investment-grade bond market it rarely gets as oversold as it recently was. And historically, when it does, you have pretty high single-digit returns in investment-grade bonds over the course of the next year. So historically, I would have said you've got to stay away from – any kind of any kind of bonds yeah and and actually that changed because the market sell-off creates opportunities Mm -hmm. so we're clearly more favorable on the equity market but actually i'm nowhere near as cautious as i was in the uh corporate bond space because of the sell-off that recently took so
2: we can actually if you have a little extra cash and you don't want to buy equities you're saying a bit of corporate debt in here is probably not a bad risk reward opportunity
3: Based on history, that's absolutely right. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, that, that, that's comforting because Jack and I do have some corporate debt uh, that we own for clients through, through mutual funds that we use, and they've done a reasonable job uh, managing that for us. Um, back half of the year, is that where we're going to make our money in 2018, Tony?
3: Uh, Wolfie, as you know, that's our plan. Um, first half we've always thought was going to be high volatility huh. associated with fear of Fed and mixed economic data. We're certainly getting that. We've, had, we've gone from a period of no and historically low volatility to a period of very high historic volatility. Typically, those are the, that's when you set the stage for the next 6 to 12 months, and we clearly think that that's happening now. Uh, I don't know. As you know, Wolfie, I'm not the best trader in the world, that's for sure. Um, I do know when you have a pretty good risk-reward historically, and that is happening as we speak.
2: Um, we're going to have to uh, uh, go to break in a second, John. but I want to throw one intermediate question at you. Go to break, come back, and ask you some more. But uh, 2018, Sella may go away? No, I don't think those seasonal,
3: you know, fables work anymore. If you did that last year, you'd have gotten slammed. May th- Made through the end of the year was pretty terrific so i think you got to be careful using some of these these old uh historic wife tales
2: mm-hmm. all right uh tony we're gonna bring, come right back to you we're gonna pay some bills and uh ask you some more tough questions on hi-fi radio my good friends so stay tuned okay great
1: don't go anywhere there's more great show after this you're listening to hi-fi radio from global news radio 640 toronto
2: Welcome back, Hi-Fi Radio. Hope your Saturday's going well. Tony Dwyer's on the line. Is helping us make sense of the week that was. Uh, so, Tony, we talked about uh, we're not going to sell a May go away. Um, but with the earnings about to kick into season, uh, what are you expecting, and how's that going to be? How's that going to value the S and P 500 uh, for the year of 2018?
3: Well, you've seen a pretty big drop. We should have earnings growth of over 20 percent for both the current quarter and the year. So, Wolf, as you know, up 7.5% going into the third week of January, that's pretty fully, you know, there's some of that being priced in pretty quickly Mm -hmm. after the Trump tax cuts. So certainly, you know, with a 10% drop from peak in the S&P 500 and 20% earnings growth, that offers a pretty good opportunity, again, on a 6- to 12-month risk-reward basis, that's for sure. Mm
2: -hmm. So uh, you expect the S&P 500 to earn how much in 2018?
3: We're at $155 in S&P operating uh, profits. The current consensus is a little bit above that. But using the more conservative number, you're only at about 17 times earnings. Um, Historically, when you're in a sub-3% core inflation environment, which we are, came out this morning at 1.6%, you get a 19 multiple. So you have a lot of room for not just earnings expansion, but multiple expansion, which is why I think I'm one of the top targets on the street for the S&P 500 in 2018. Tony,
4: um, Tony you mentioned the low interest rates there. The 10-year has come down significantly. You, were, you made a good call there. It was, I think, 295, and you said you'll probably see 275 before it hits 3. Uh, what do you make of that in terms of global economic growth? Does the bond market know something that we don't? I
3: think the bond market, it, it, it's been seeing what's been taking place in Europe, Jack. It's a great point. We've been talking – our reason for that is when the global monetary stimulus is starting to abate, which is the case, you're going to have more mixed economic performance, and it comes at a time when expectations for economic activity after the Trump tax cuts and monetary stimulus globally was so high. So what you've had is numbers that are good enough to create fear of – Fed, meaning higher interest rates, but not good enough relative to expectations. So the slowing growth relative to expectations has kind of come into play, and you're getting this pullback in the bond yields. You you just, when you don't have the monetary stimulus, it's very hard to make the case that you're going to have a rip roaring economy globally.
2: Hmm, Interesting. So, Tony, let's end on this here. When do you think we go into recession?
3: We shouldn't go into recession. So, let me put it to you this way. The only good predictor, according to the San Francisco Fed, Federal Reserve, is an inversion of recession, is an inversion of the yield curve. If you invert the yield curve tomorrow, which you're probably not going to do for at least another 6 to 12 months. But if you did it tomorrow, the meet, over the last seven economic cycles, it takes almost two years to go into recession.
2: Right, and you so. think we may invert the curve in, in, in six months to a year? So a recession could be off about three years, which means in terms of a real bear market, like a 2008-style or 2000-style, kicking that can down the road a couple of years, does that make some sense?
3: Yeah, with some pretty significant upside into it.
2: Yeah. All right, Tony, I really appreciate your time, man. you, you got to hop. I appreciate it, as always. Hi-Fi Radio. We'll be back to talk oil with Simon Ackett right after this.
1: Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. God.
2: Listen to my story about a man named Chad, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is black gold Texas tea. Well the first Welcome was, back, Hi Fi Radio, Easter weekend. May the bunny be good to you. May you. Have some fun. May we see some uh what is a flower that pops up in Easter little yellow flower? No, Easter no, the, lilies. Uh, no, no, the other ones. The yellow flower of Easter What is it? No, not dandelions. Daffodils? Daffodils. Uh, Maybe we see the daffodils. Yeah, the dandelions. The jacoria. <laughs> hey, who picks jacoria out there, eh? Side of the highway? You know, make a little salad of that stuff, too? No, 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 no. Anyways, uh, let's talk oil. Uh, we got Simon Akin on the line. He's also a petroleum engineer. Here it says he spent his whole career in Canada drilling and completing <laughs> wells. Were you a rigger?
5: I, I was. I sat on rigs for a couple of years. Uh, really? As a roughneck is what they oil. call them, right? I definitely wasn't a roughneck but I, okay. I yeah i was i was definitely out there it's a twenty four hour operation it's uh it's kind of like your training ground to become a really good uh petroleum engineer, so everyone's got to do it
2: is that good for you? Wow isn't that out there with the boots on you actually you actually ran a rig i did yeah I was the
5: foreman you know sitting in those adco trailers working twenty four hours a day all our listeners that uh have ever gone out to a rig it's it's very exciting when things are happening, but man, there are some really quiet moments. Sometimes, you know, 48 hours of nothing, but drilling ahead.
2: Yeah, I couldn't imagine what it would be, work, what it would be like to work out at Athabasca. And, and one of the Ontarians actually moved out
4: west to work there. And they said it was quite lonely. So, uh, so were you in charge of the safety as well? Because obviously that's a, that's a big issue out on those rigs there, Simon.
5: Oh, yeah. The safety, or you're having safety meetings once a day. The crews are all trained. We're all trained by the, by the company. It, it's a priority.
2: Wow. So I guess, I, I guess there's a few no smoking signs around.
5: Yeah, yeah, there were not a lot of smokers on site, no, definitely not. (laughs) They they chew
2: tobacco. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, you certainly got yourself some good uh, uh, boots-on-the-ground experience, but uh, look, you're you're an institutional salesperson now, so you deal with the institutions. Uh, I guess your clients would be like uh, pension funds and hedge funds and uh, all those very, very smart guys trying to make some alpha and generate some alpha in their returns. Um, Canadian oil has been just a nightmare to make money in. International oil, U.S. oil a little bit better. So here we are. We're coming into uh, the month of April. Uh, so uh, we're not into, well, I guess shoulder season is right in front of us, eh, where we're not driving as much to go to the cottage, and the weather's getting a little warmer, so we're not heating our homes. So we call that shoulder season. So can we make any money uh, in shoulder season, Simon? Well, you've got these uh, oil and gas stocks that have completely disconnected from where the oil price is, right?
5: We've got this you know, oil price where we've seen oil up, you know, 21% year to date, and you look at these stock prices, and you think we're in a different sector. <laughs> What's going to change that is the question that the institutions in the U.S., in Europe, and Canada keep asking me, and I think it's going to be a question of time. But more importantly, it's going to be a question of free cash flow. The amount of free cash flow that's being generated. Additional free cash flows being generated at these oil prices is going to astound people as people start reporting quarters later into the year. How are we going to see that play out? We're going to get dividend increases. We're going to get share buybacks. We're going to see more production growth as they put money into the ground. And most, most importantly, we're going to see some M&A as well.
4: So, hmm. so these are the Canadian names you're talking about or the ones down in the, in the U.S.?
5: It, it, it applies across both sides of the border, but I'm going to predominantly talk about Canada right at the moment. That's right.
2: Yeah, now, you, you had a theory that when we had you on the show last time, you said you want, uh, was it gas, you want uh, light oil over yeah. heavy oil?
5: Yes, for, for, yeah, for, the, for the listeners who remember, it was very clear. It was a three-step process for 2018. We're owning oil over gas. Yeah. We're oi- owning light oil over heavy oil. Yeah. And we're owning names that have U.S. exposure over Canadian exposure.
2: Right. And, and, and you also, one of your ideas was actually Enerplus, wasn't it, back when we had you on the air? Ener- Enerplus would fit everything. That's
5: Light oil—that's uh, that's the North Dakota
2: Bakken play.
5: Great returns, and that's been one of the leaders in the space. Absolutely. Yeah, the,
2: the stocks actually had a very very good move. So uh, good on you. Uh, let's talk international. Jack has a National Post headline in front of me here: Russia Saudi Arabian talks for unprecedented deal to control oil supplies for twenty years. Um, you know, with the Americans uh, coming on board with the uh, uh, crude and actually finally being able to finally export some crude. Technology, fracking, cracking, uh, sand—you <laughs> name it—the uh, the, the oil landscape has completely changed. So, f- from a global positioning point of view, uh, you know, you, the Saudis obviously key. Russia, massively influential in Europe in terms of heating homes across the uh, continent. Um, <laughs> So much has changed, Simon. Looking forward 5-10 years, global dominance in crude, and and who's going to control supply and uh, and the like. Well, How well, does it play it's out?
5: A, it's a it's a great question to look forward. to First of all the U.S. is pumping out so much oil out of these shale plays that they're going to become a dominant export force. And the word export's important because they've been a net importer for so many years. So what's important about that comment you made about Saudi Arabia and Russia? Two dominant players getting into bed with each other in terms of working together long term. That is going to be really good for us in terms of control of supply. They supply a lot of oil to the world and them working together to, to help price is only going to benefit everyone. These the well,
4: shale plays down in the U.S. That you, that you referenced there, everyone's aware of them now, obviously, but uh, I don't think they're aware of the, the decline rates, at least the, the general public isn't. Um, you know, some of these fields are being called mature fields now. Um, are they going to be, you know, 10 years from now still pumping at the at the rate that they are?
5: Well, you know what, there's a number of shale plays uh, in the U.S., and some of them are already on the other side. They're on the net decline side, and that would be something like the Eagleford. But the play that everyone talks about these days is the Permian and the Stack Scoop. Those are still on the rise. We have a lot of new production being added. But on the flip side, when you add production at that rate and that level, you're going to get big declines, like 50 to 60% declines in the first year of production alone, and then it continues from there. But also, really important, Jack, above and beyond declines, is that the water content associated with that oil is going to increase dramatically. Let me give you an example. So you know, a lot of these more mature Permian wells in the shales, they produce multiple barrels of water for a barrel of oil. How are you going to deal with that water? Where are you going to put it? Where you get to truck it to, where you get to pipeline it to, you got to reinject it. It becomes a real, uh, a real process to deal with that water, and as a result of that, it's going to slow down production growth.
2: Now, we're speaking with Simon Ackett. He's an institutional salesperson at Canacor Ingenuity, specializing in the energy sector, also a petroleum engineer and a rigger uh, in his youth. Uh, so, uh, Simon, uh, let's fast forward now. Um, your, your clients that you're dealing with how keen are they towards energy these days you know we we had um, our, our, our CEO on uh, uh, Dan, Dan Davio I gotta remember his name uh, Dan on the show and he said you know back in the day Canaccord and energy was about 20% of our revenue energy is now 5% of Canaccord's revenue um the interest that we have as, as retail brokers is minimal when it comes to energy 10 years ago clients would call us up they'd be always asking us a question about energy stocks or gold stocks they never asked this question but at best commodity last about marijuana now uh, so is there are you noticing a real decline in interest and which then leads me to the old adage you know you buy when it's quiet you sell when it's a riot it seems still very very quiet the energy patch well, I think it just speaks quiet, to the cyclicality yeah yeah i mean i would i would define quiet as value like they're, they're,
5: these energy stocks uh, you, you know represent incredible value to buy them at mm-hmm. these trough type valuations but in the us and i talked to a lot of us clients on energy in canada and the us Technology has dominated. Uh, it's done very well. They've been great leaders. Until we see more of that leadership fall by the wayside and we see some bigger cracks in Facebook and Netflix and Google, we're not going to get dominance in these value sectors. And energy right now is a value sector. It is. What's going to change that? Like I said free cash flow, continued high oil prices. And I'll quote uh, you know, a famous fund manager, um, Lee Gehring in the US. He has said that the same thing happened with copper last year. We saw absolutely no change in the fundamentals of copper last year in terms of supply and demand. We went from extreme bearishness to extreme bullishness. And let me pick an example. Tech Cominco was up fivefold last year. Oh, yeah. We're going to see the same thing in energy. It's coming. It's just We've
2: seen a few head fakes. All right. uh, You've got me intrigued now, Simon. So we're going to pay some bills and come right back to you. All right. Simon Atkin on the line with us. Stay tuned, folks. More great stuff on Hi-Fi Radio right after this.
1: Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
2: sure is, eh? Hi-Fi radio. Simon Ackett on the line. Uh, petroleum engineer, and he actually worked in the oil patch. And he really worked in the oil patch. So, uh, And they said you would amount to nothing, and look at you, Simon, eh? Or at least Johnny Cash said you amount to nothing.
5: That's right. That's that's the view, but I'm glad we can fight that view.
2: Well, you're a well-dressed man on Bay Street, and you're a very, very smart man to boot. Uh, so... Here we are, uh, month of April. Energy, Canadian energy has not been a lot of fun. Um, Let's let's go through some numbers. I met with an energy manager. I'm not going to mention the name, but he got the math wrong. I was frustrated because I had to go and do some digging and come back and prove him wrong, which I don't really like doing. But America still is a net importer of crude, and. Much of that crude comes from Canada. So, as you have rough numbers here, I I think America produces about 11 or 12 million barrels a day. Simon, you can correct me where you think I'm wrong, and yet they consume something like 20 or 21 million barrels a day. So there's a shortfall of 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 eight nine million barrels, and that shortfall is declining. But America is allowed now to export crude, and that's part of what's going on in here. Canada, they're buying our crude at a discount to market. Simon, how big is that discount? The differential?
5: Uh, 25, around 25 bucks right now.
2: Yeah, so they buy our, our crude at a $25 discount to market, they refine it, and then they ship it to the global market. So they can get our crew to global markets, but we can't get our crew to any other market other than America. So you then look at the pipeline stocks in here in Canada. Uh, They've been borrowing money, they've been raising their dividend, they've been paying their dividend. I've always questioned to what degree they actually earn that dividend and dividend growth. And you're seeing, uh, you know, there's a downward pressure, even as the fang complex sells off. So uh, the pipes can still get no love. Uh, You know, bottlenecks, landlocked. Is that still the theme in Canadian crude? We can't get out of the country, therefore we have to sell it for whatever price the Americans are going to take, and that's just the world we're going to live in for a long period of time?
5: Well, I I just want to define the crude. When you say crude, it's actually heavy crude. It's the heavier oil. Uh, A lot of the U.S. refiners want our heavy oil. They want Venezuelan heavy oil. They want Saudi Arabian heavy oil. Yeah, and why do they want heavy? Why do they want heavy? That's the way that the, the, um, the refiners are geared up to process they, okay, they process enough. the heavy oil. Yeah, the calibrated a margin cars, yeah. for them as well, right? They're taking all the garbage that's in that heavy oil and creating gasoline. But Canada has some really good heavy crude. And you to know, give you a stat here, Canada's share of imports has increased into the U.S., the heavy oil, from, to 40% from 19% over the last 10 years. We've been taking market share from every other region in the world. Well, sure, they but yeah, our yeah because sure,
2: our price prices are is a discount. Of course. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the free ice cream has the biggest lineup. <laughs> That's
5: right. But, but there is a problem. We, we need more egress. We need more pipelines to transport that crude. We cannot turn on a pipeline overnight. You've got regulatory process. You've got construction, et cetera. So we're trying to get our heavy oil to the U.S. There's a bottleneck. The only relief in the short term for that bottleneck is rail.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about crude by rail. Uh, what does it cost to save money, the safety issues around it. To, is you look it at
4: the say From the environmental perspective, environmentalists don't want the pipelines, but uh, the alternative is crude by rail, which is less efficient in terms of getting it to the end market, yep. and it's less environmentally friendly too.
5: It's, and it's much more dangerous, absolutely, and it's very expensive. So at the end, the consumer will pay more if we try to put too much through rail.
2: By rail. So now what about crude by ship to get it to Asia? Would that work and how costly are you, and how dangerous is that? Ab- absolutely. I mean it, it we, we I mean
5: the oils on tankers every day going all over the world. That's what makes oil a global commodity because you can put it on a ship and move it. Yeah. Gas is going that way, but we're not there yet. So yeah, you could sell it into the so, into Asia, but the cost of moving the crude from Canada to Asia, that transportation Yeah, process, is what is eating margin.
2: Of course, um, but do you know what it would cost it to, to ship a barrel to I'm, to I'm Asia? going to say to
5: Asia somewhere between $3 and $5 in addition to what it would cost to ship it to the U.S.
2: Yeah, okay, so, but again, this, this, that sounds like a better deal than taking a $25 differential.
4: It, it is a better deal, but you don't have the pipelines to get it to the coast. You've got them going down to the Gulf Coast. So that, that's the issue. Yeah, you don't have them to the east and the west. you got them going to H- Hence
2: the Trans Mountain Pipeline Project. That right. There. That's right, that's right. I mean,
5: we, we estimate here at Canaccord that there is a shortfall of pipeline capacity of 280 to 350 thousand barrels a day. Mm-hmm. So, who's going to benefit in the short term from that? Well, it's the people that have storage in Canada, the Gibsons of the world, that are able to help us deal with that, you know, that excess crude that's sitting in the market. But. At the end of the day, we need a big operator. We need Synovus in Canada, Suncor, to come forward and sign a big rail contract to give investors comfort that there is a solution to getting the crude to the U.S. Yes, it's more expensive, but it gets rid of the bottleneck. Pipelines will eventually get rid of that, but rail does it in the short
2: term. How many barrels are are we? Are we doing 4 million barrels yet of of, of crude in Canada, Simon?
5: Yes, we are. We're, we're we're, we're We're above that
2: above that and and global um consumption on a daily basis uh, is around what 98 million barrels a day globally it,
5: it, it's actually broken through 100 it got through the today. 100 did it yeah it's gone through 100 it's kind of oscillating there but thank god for those electric cars yeah. Well the electric cars are not going to save the day for oil demand we've shown that but uh, yeah, yeah that's right that's right
4: well a lot of that is it, it shows you how strong the economy is right now too right the only time you actually have oil, oil declines globally right. in terms of usage is when you have a recession it's not when you have global growth at two three percent and
2: that's right. what you call demand elasticity isn't it Jack that's correct that's little, right. little economics 101. well Jeff Simon you, you know you are a wealth of crude knowledge my good friend, and as such, Hi-Fi Radio loves you for just that. we to have to bring you back on the show, keep us posted on what's going on in the energy patch, but we're going to move south to speak to Richard, actually we're going to go west, my friend, further west, Rich Davis, uh, our tech analyst, going to help us make some sense of the software stocks right after this.
1: Making money is the best. So how do you make more money?
2: Life plenty of money.
1: And- Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
2: Welcome back. A show about money. Finance, high finance, sci fi radio, and we throw in a little high fidelity every now and then. Ah, Richard Davis is on the line. He is a uh, software analyst, enterprise software at Canaccord Genuity, uh, talking about names like Adobe and Autodesk. And uh, you're actually uh, uh, shaking some hands, kissing some babies, meeting uh, some of the uh, geniuses in the Valley, Uh, Rick, uh, uh, Salesforce, you've been meeting with them, Autodesk, Adobe. So you got some good good information for us, I guess, with your latest uh, meetings.
0: Yeah. So, look, I, I just finished meetings with all those companies and then a handful of interesting private companies as well. And listen, uh, you know, the good news is that fundamentals are in the software industry are about as strong as I've seen in you know ten years. Um, you know, the stocks. The only problem is is that uh, you know that our government, Congress, and and our tweeter in chief have kind of gone a little bit off the rails.
2: Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's funny, and, tweeter and it's in
0: all, chief we do chief and so you know look i, I don't have any experience with how, either, how to handicap that kind of risk where you have people you know go bonkers but uh, look i have to assume at some point the political storms pass and uh in the end you know execution and fundamentals and valuation matters so that the good news is is like you know like when warren buffett says i'm happy when stocks go down because i feel like they're on sale so you know that's how i feel uh, about the stock so and i can to the end of the ones we like, too. But that's
2: kind of the fundamental backdrop. Interesting. Yeah, because Jack said we're always just one tweet away from another VIX30. Uh, VIX30 exactly. or 700, yeah, 700 points down with the Dow. Look, I want, I want to ask you about exactly. a stock. You, you don't cover it, but I, just thematically, yeah. I know you, yeah. I know you, you got your your, yeah. your your brain and all kinds of different things here. Uh, this data breach with Facebook or analytic yeah. breach with Facebook. You know, I go back to, I want to talk about Equifax. Equifax had a breach. Stock went down for nine days. Jack and I stepped in. We got lucky. We bought it near the low. Uh, it rallied within three weeks back 25%. We sold the stock. Uh, I see a similar thing here with Facebook. And I read the headlines I'm reading. I said, give me a break as though this is a systemic problem that's going to be overly regulated and that they're not going to be able to manage this data anymore as effectively to make the advertiser happy. I say nonsense because if there's anyone who's aggregating data right now, I'm going to say it's your company's Salesforce. They're geniuses at it. So uh, what's Salesforce saying about this data leak and and, and regulatory uh, environment on a go-forward basis? basis?
0: Yeah, good question. I mean, look, I mean, you have to, Pay for this stuff one way or another. Salesforce charges, you know, dollar bills to uh, to its customers to give them tools to do that kind of analytics. But the, the fact of the matter is, is you know, it's it's not that bad. It's no different than if you go into a men's store and and I and the, the seller says, "Oh, uh, Richard Davis, I know who you are. Here's my here's your favorite, you know, blue suit or something." That's fine, and that's if you use these personal identifiable information for good uses, I think people are fine. It's just I think the black box nature is what spooks people. So I think more transparency solves a lot of this. And so that, in my opinion, will be the end game, which will be say, hey, here's the data we have on you. Here's how we're using it. Do you want to accept this or not? So I think in the end, we'll be fine. But you got to go through the storm before you get to the calm. Mm-hmm.
4: Hey, Rich, with the social media sell-off that we've had, because that's really where it's, uh, I guess, like Wolfgang said, with Facebook, that's the, uh, the the center of it. Are you seeing money flow into the software space, into your names, or is their valuation relatively expensive, too?
0: No, actually, all of my stocks have gone down, too. They've all rolled over, you know, 10 15%, some of them off the highs. Part of that was because the sector had been super hot, I mean, the first two months. I was joking, the stocks were going up 1% a day, including weekends. So it was, like, <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, what the heck? So, I'm, uh, look, I'm, I'm as happy as anyone when my stocks go up, but when, when they get a little spendy, you're just like, whoa. So it's actually, I'm, I think it's refreshing and helpful to have the, you know, get a little correction
2: here. Let's talk about Dropbox. Uh, they IPO'd, uh, what, a week, week and a half ago. Uh, the uh, pe- People got in on the deal, paid how much per share? 21 bucks, was it?
0: Uh, yeah, 21 bucks, yeah. And then the it stock for first day of trading years. got to yeah. 30,
2: Close at around 30. Uh, yeah, and the like issue, what was day. it? I think they issued about 36 million shares approximately, yeah. Rick. So can yeah. you, it's been a long time since we've seen, you know, a, a, a real ramp of, of of tech IPOs. You know, 2,000 is long gone. We all forgot about it. Yeah. But that was back in the yeah. day. Does company go public? Bang, stocks up 50%. Hey, the street got, got blamed for leaving money on the table. And I don't, so what is the strategy for a company when they want to go public? How much paper? How do they price it? Do they want investors to make money on the day one? And if so, why? And and, and what is the you know end game for companies going public?
0: Yeah. So, interestingly, at the original price, Face Facebook, Facebook uh, Dropbox's valuation was less than its pr- most recent uh, pr- uh, private company round, i.e., ten billion dollars at the midpoint. It was seven and a half. So when they actually went public, it was closer to eight and a half. And now it's above the, the $10 billion post-deal valuation. So here's the deal. Basically, these companies issue around numbers, around 10% of whatever the total market cap will be. So if it's a $1 billion dollars, you'll do a $100 million deal. Uh-huh. Um, so you still have 90% of the stock is held by insiders over time. And so over time, that liquidates out and, you know, you'll end up with insiders owning whatever. 20 percent of the company, but um, yeah, you know, what's happening is, is we've had a lot of companies wait a lot longer than they sh- historically did back in even the two thousand or even the two thousand fourteen bubble in terms of the size of companies. So remember that you know uh, Dropbox was doing a billion three revenue run rate and was profitable on a on a cash flow basis, and
2: so impressive, yeah,
0: m- yeah. Most of those most of a lot of the new up, up and coming IPLs will be these larger scale deals. And so they're pretty good quality, but you know, again, the way you extinguish a, a bull market in my sector is do too many deals and we're not there yet. Um, but you know, eventually what happens is is people lose their quality filter and we, you know, start doing crummy deals and
2: yeah, crap through you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then put the
0: pall over the industry and that's yeah. what happened in 14, big, 14. Big yeah, it happened. So yeah. it hasn't happened yet, but, you know, it probably
2: will. All right, Richard, we want to, we want to learn more about your meetings with the, these big software players. So we're going to pay some bills around here. and Get right back to Rick Davis, uh, software analyst with Canaccord Genuity right after this.
1: Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
2: Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Easter weekend. Richard Davis is on the line uh, talking software, talking tech. Uh, Salesforce, the, one of the companies that you cover. Um, I think Salesforce knows a lot more about most of us than they let on. In fact, I think they know a lot more about their customers' customers than Facebook does. Uh, do you think that's a fair statement, Rick?
0: Yeah, they do. Look, their job is on the side of, is to help salespeople be more successful, help call center reps be smarter when you call in. And so in that regard, especially the latter point, that's where they try to help, right? So they're not really collecting the data themselves, but they do give the people that run those operations, uh, you know, the hammers and nails to build whatever kind of house they want to build.
2: So, So give us some specific examples of how they help those customers better service their customers.
0: Right. So think about, when you have a customer support problem, right? I mean, one of the biggest pains in the neck is if you call and you talk to one operator and they go, oh, well, you need to talk to someone else and then you, they transfer you over and then you have to c- completely repeat all of your stuff. Hi, this is Richard Davis. This is my account number, you know, and you're right. like, seriously, I have to do this? And that just makes people bonkers, which big they should. Big time, So yeah. what they've done, yeah, what they've done is they figured out a way to to basically write software that allows you basically to hand off that information from account rep to account rep, or you know, from call center rep to call center rep, and so they have that. They have a whole bunch of outbound marketing stuff for business to business and business to consumer stuff, but that's really what it is. But it's a big platform, you know. I mean, this is one of these companies that's you know kind of growing twenty percent a year at a ten billion dollar revenue run rate, which is pretty darn good.
2: A uh, company, and the company is profitable, sort of, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You look, see, the problem is, is you have to look at free cash flow these days because the to find folks that FASB have literally just destroyed gap accounting in terms of these rules that they've put out. And not to go too far down the rabbit hole there, but they have this new thing called 606, which literally starts pulling, make the accounting look like it was back in Enron, which was didn't end out that wow. well. So just you've got to look at the cash flow well because gap numbers are just garbage. I mean, they did they, they make no sense. And it's really a shame, and I don't know they just you know, lost their mind. So you have to look at dollar bills in the
4: bank. So, so with a growth company like Salesforce, uh, what do you pay for that cash flow? What do you what do you uh, think is a reasonable valuation, Rick?
0: Yeah. So what what we do is there's a, there's an old rule. I'm used to do it when you could use gap accounting, um, but we just do it on a cash flow basis.
4: So we do enterprise
0: value divide it by the free cash flow, and then look at that on a compared to growth rate. So if a company is growing. 20% round numbers, you should pay 20, a 20 multiple on the forward EV to free cash flow, right? And you can, you know, maybe you can pay 23 or something. That's kind of the, the break point. So a 1.0 ratio or 1.2 or less is okay. So anytime in, in that area, it's fine. When you get up above like 1.5, you're starting to, you know, pay too much. So if, if Salesforce were 30 times, uh, that would probably be too expensive. Like right now, it's like 24, 25 times by our estimate.
2: Um, Rick, with the market pulling back a little bit, uh, any screaming valuation opportunities that you're seeing?
0: Yeah, so, um, so as I said, when I saw Adobe, I think that's a good company. It's just we like it, but it's just not as
2: on sale as others. Um,
0: I just got out of uh, yesterday. I was at Autodesk, and we put out a note this morning on it, that you can look at. But basically, that's a pretty interesting play on, on a construction boom. There's about seven billion people that are going to move into cities over the next 10 years, and Autodesk is the dominant firm in helping. Sorry, you know, sorry,
2: sorry. I want to back up. How many people are moving yeah, into cities?
0: Seven. Seven
2: billion. Back up. That's the population. Of the, that's the population of the world.
0: Good. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's what they said. So it's, that's so, what so uh, over the next, yeah. Well, yeah, but Everyone's will, will anyone
2: anyone be left on the rural farms, or will that be done by artificial not. by, by machine saying. to machine yeah. running those combines? That's
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, but right. they,
2: we had we had a, a Tesla yeah. a car crash. Those combines will run into trees or something. Yeah. They'll, hit, they'll hit cattle, oh. <laughs> run into a exactly. deer. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh boy. So that's what they said. So you know, that's the increase over, over time. Like, like like if anyway, a combine drove a
2: over a piece of head of cattle, that that would do a whole new meaning to minced meat. Exactly. Oh my. Exactly. Seven billion people over what period of time? I think they were saying it was either 10 to 20 years. That's what's happening, right? Because if you look
0: at China, you look in the United States, everywhere, it's becoming a world of city states is really what's happening, right? So the rural areas are just getting, like, crushed. Um, I mean, where I grew up in Michigan, like, you know, it's, like, you know, wiped out. I mean,
2: it's it's just terrible. So, yeah, apparently there. apparently there's some wonderful villas you can buy, for example, in Italy, yeah, where, where towns have I basically know. become ghost towns and these old medieval castles exist. And they, I think there's one town that said, if you just come here and renovate, you can basically have the place for free. And of course, town, it, I love Italian wine. It's like getting like a
4: stake of land back yeah. in the, the, back in the, the yes. 1800s. Yes, for, for,
2: for, for signature yeah. on the deed. Yeah. What do we do? No. Why do we live on top of ourselves? Why do we do I that, don't. Richard? I just think, you know, People like uh, you know quick
0: access to Starbucks. I guess
2: that's all I can. Yeah, say. but technology it's is, is supposed to free us. It's supposed to allow us to telecommute and and work from the yeah. cottage and get away from it all. And yet, no, we want to yeah. be closer to each other. But I don't. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't kiss, I don't kiss Jack by the way. Before yeah. the show, I saw I saw, I saw the tragically hip uh, Gord do that. And I said, Yeah, no, just uh, you yeah. know. Anyways, so, uh, so yeah. With, you, you, you like you like Autodesk? Yeah. Yep, but, Autodesk is a good one. Um, we still love
0: Salesforce uh, for growth accounts. And then the other one that we like, and it's been kind of quiet, is uh, I actually like Microsoft here. It's, you know, quietly seeing accelerating growth. Xbox is working. You know, they have a product called Azure, which is a competitor to Amazon, and then they're also leveraging their whole LinkedIn acquisition. So I think, you know, good things are coming out of, Microsoft, that's more a get-rich-slow kind of thing, hopefully. That. That's
2: way. what Jack and I do for our clients. We plug, plug get-rich-slow. Yeah. I, I think
4: Morgan Stanley came out with a report. They said uh, Microsoft might be the first trillion-dollar company. I think that came out just yeah. this week. But but so, I want to interject here, because just in just yeah. the interest of time here.
2: Microsoft was under antitrust. And, and that basically yeah. put that stock in the penalty box, Rick, correct, for years. Ten years. Is Facebook yep. going to be in the same predicament? Is Amazon going to be in the same it, predicament? Yeah,
0: it, you don't know, and that's the... That's the, the edge case risk. And so I don't know how to handicap that, but that's uh, part of the problem that happened to Microsoft. It was both the antitrust, but also I was never a big fan of Steve Ballmer because he just was one of these kind of go it go it alone type people. In other words, he refused to partner with other folks. And, and the one thing that Satya Nadella has done really well is to understand that in the software industry, it's about cooperate, you know, coopetition, really. So yep. you're going to compete with your partners, but you're also going to partner. You can't do it yourself, mm-hmm. do it alone. And that's what I think hurt Microsoft. Uh, you know, it's a little bit, the analogy is not quite the same for facebook and, and those kind of guys and amazon it's a, although you know amazon's a little bit more do it yourself do it on their own but we'll see
2: but google's That's partnering exactly. you're seeing ibm's yeah. partnering so now you're seeing it there's no question about like the, yeah. when you see these two titans these titans come together you know i scratch it's said yeah. wow i never would have expected that exactly yeah uh, exactly. richard look i want to wish you a wonderful easter weekend with your family well, my friend you. Uh, the listeners love have, love hearing from yeah, you. Jack and I like working with you. You're a real treat, Richard. Richard Davis, okay. uh, software analyst with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, folks, it is Easter weekend, so you enjoy your family time. Jack and I, of course, want to thank you for joining Hi-Fi Radio this weekend, each and every Saturday. And we look forward to speaking with you next week.